Everybody? Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is risen Thank you. I thought I'd start with a joke this morning. I don't do this very often. And already I think people are probably laughing in their minds or they're thinking, oh, no. So you see, Pastor Patrick's not really all that funny. But I did have a church member this week who gave me a book of jokes. He actually called me at home, and he was just laughing over the phone and said, Pastor Patrick, I have a book I want to give you of jokes. And he told me one over the phone, and I was laughing, and I had to tell my kids. And then I told the people at the Friday, I think it was Friday, um, it might have been Monday, I told them at the Hardy's prayer group the joke. They laughed, but then they said they prayed for me after I left, too. <laughs> but here's the joke I'd like to start with. You see, a man looked outside of his window, and he saw a boy might have been his boy, passing a ball, passing a baseball around. And the man walked outside and asked the boy, who are you passing the ball with? The boy says, I'm passing the ball with God. I'm throwing the ball with God. The man kind of chuckled himself and he said, oh, really? Well, how do you throw the ball? How do you pass the ball with God? The boy said, I don't know. I just keep throwing the ball up and God keeps throwing it back down. You see, even when we do not see God, he is still working. He's holding the entire world together as we know it. And even when Jesus was in that tomb, he was working. And then even when that tomb was empty, Jesus was working. Jesus was being victorious over our sin, over our death. He took it all to the grave. And then he left. He left that grave empty. So that all of his claims could be true, so that it could be proven once and for all that I am God. Surely this is the Son of God. We are told, do not be afraid. But enough of that, let's get into the, ser the sermon today. The kids are dismissed to Children's Church. I wanted them to stick around for the joke. Kids, you can tell your teachers that because they might not have been in here to hear it. But good morning once again, and if you're a visitor here, we welcome you here, and I am excited to see you. I'm excited to see a full service. I'm excited to see a full day. I look forward to the brunch afterwards, although I hope that the smells don't work their way over here too soon, or I might lose you all. Today, we're going to be talking about Jesus. We're going to be talking about life, hope, and joy. We're going to be talking about how he is alive. Jesus is alive, and he is risen. He is risen indeed. And my main theme for today, my main point is this. I'm going to give it to you right at the beginning because I want you to write it down. If you have a pen, if you have a piece of paper, you should all have a bulletin. Maybe there's a pencil in front of you for the ties envelope. Grab a pencil, write this down. I want you to take it home with you. I want you to apply it to your life. It is this. The resurrection of Jesus, the empty tomb, provides for us an eternal life filled with hope, joy, and our sins paid in full. Amen? I'll say that once again and I'll move on, but the slide will stay up there for your notes. The resurrection of Jesus, the empty tomb, provides for us an eternal life filled with hope, joy, and our sins paid in full. As I start speaking, you're welcome to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. And if you like, you can, while you have those pencils out, write down a few more scriptures. Luke 24. John 20, Mark 16, and 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if you didn't hear all those, it's pretty easy to Google because what those are are all the different uh, messages 
or the main scriptures for your reference of the resurrection of Christ. And I don't have time to read all of them to you today, and I would love to, but I just don't have time. So I'm going to give them to you right there so that you can look them up this afternoon. Now, I put a timetable on that. I said look them up this afternoon. I want you to read all the different gospels, all the different scripture related to the resolution, because the resolution, the resurrection, so that you can have resolution in your life. Now, because we have a Good Friday service here, We've already spoken about Jesus' death. We've already spoke about his life. And we've already spoke about his grand entrance, his, his triumphant entrance as king into Jerusalem. But I could not just skip over that today. So I do want to give a little bit of a summary of the past couple weeks of where we've been so that we can get to where we are today. You see, I could never start preaching about the resurrection without also preaching about what came first. The crucifixion, because we needed it all. God desired to have a relationship with us so much, but our sins got in the way of it, so he sent his son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sins, to die upon the cross, so that we might have life. And that life can start today, it can start every single day, and it will be there for you every single day of the rest of your life. The resurrection does not happen without first having the life and death of Jesus. Because it all matters. We need it all. Last Sunday, we were talking about Palm Sunday, and we studied Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem as king. Now, it may have been a little bit of different of a Palm Sunday message than what you're used to. Because we didn't just celebrate the triumphant entry. We spoke about how the people did not recognize who he truly was and what he was truly there to be. Sure, there were thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands there, worshiping him as king and celebrating his triumphant entry. But they're celebrating him for to be a different type of king. And they expected him to do something different. And that's crazy to think because really they had all the scriptures. They should have known the prophecy. They should have known what he was coming to do. They should have known that he'd be riding in on a donkey's colt. You see, they wanted to see him riding in on a horse with sword drawn and a uh, Calvary behind him, chariots behind him. They wanted to see him coming to battle for their worldly freedom. But Christ came to bring peace to their lives spiritually and give them a spiritual freedom, an eternal freedom, a life that they could not even imagine. Jesus came riding in on a donkey's colt, not a horse. But not just that. This donkey's colt, as somebody in here pointed out to me, was also untamed, untrained an unbroken colt, which further shows us how he can bring peace and control to all of creation and to us. Jesus brings peace to our lives through his life, his death, and the resurrection, and we needed it all. Jesus came right at the right time, too, not just to fulfill prophecy, but just in history. Just in the calendar year, Jesus came right at the height of the Passover season. During a week where hundreds of thousands of lambs could possibly be slain. And think about the symbolism there. The symbol there that Jesus would be the final sacrifice needed for us. He would be that final sacrificial lamb. He was the perfect sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice. Jesus came to be our forever sacrifice. But no one recognized the signs, the prophecy which was happening before their very eyes. Jesus came to do battle. But he didn't come to do battle with a sword. He came to do battle through a cross. 
He carried our cross. He carried our penalty, our punishment, our sins to the grave with him so that we could be forgiven. He did something that we could never do. And people did not recognize it. People worshipped him as a different type of king. We need to be living cautiously to look for and to recognize God's work in our lives. We need to celebrate God's working in our lives. We need to celebrate him as king over our lives. But as we celebrate Christ, as we celebrate God's working in our lives, we need to celebrate him not just for what we want him to be or what we desire him to be, but we need to celebrate God for who he is. He is God. He is the creator of all the universe. He is Lord. He is king over our lives. And he provided a savior for us. We worship Christ as the savior, as the risen king over our lives. You see, Jesus would further fulfill prophecy and would further explain that his death would be coming soon. And yet the people who are closest to him wouldn't even recognize this. They wouldn't even see it. And this is what we talked about on Good Friday. You see... Jesus' sacrifice stretches far beyond the cross. As we think about the sacrifice of Christ, we think about the cross. We think about his body broken, his blood spilt. But Jesus made a sacrifice much, much, much before that. I mean, really, we can go back to the beginning of creation and see Christ in every book of the Bible. But what I'm speaking of is this. Jesus made a sacrifice in becoming human. Jesus made a sacrifice in putting himself aside and becoming human. Now, he was still fully God, but he was human, living as one of us. Jesus made a sacrifice as he lived knowing full well the mission in front of him. And Jesus made a sacrifice, a great sacrifice, as he would see all of his followers, even his closest disciples, betray him, deny him, and leave him. Soon the people would be yelling, crucify, crucify him. The people would release a man, Barabbas, who was a notorious guilty prisoner, condemning our innocent Jesus to receive our punishment. He would be mocked. He would be spit upon. He would be flogged or whipped and pieces of his flesh torn off his body. Now, biblical scholars, history scholars tell me through my research that this type of punishment that they would do, it would not be uncommon for a person's body to be so torn that their organs and muscle could be exposed. It wasn't uncommon for people to not even last through this torture, through this punishment. Yet Jesus did. Many died from this, but Jesus did not. You see, Jesus had a mission to be fulfilled. Jesus would take the cross. He would take our cross, our sins upon himself. The Father would forsake him. The father would have to look away as he took all of our sins, all the sins of the world upon himself to be our sacrificial lamb, the perfect sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice. And he would cry out those final words as he bowed his head. It is finished. It is finished, guys. And with this, he wasn't saying that he would be gone forever. He wasn't saying, goodbye, I'm done. He was saying, it is finished. But he wasn't saying goodbye, and neither do we need to say goodbye. We can actually say hello. We can say hello because now we have a restored relationship with the Father. We have a relationship with the Son and the Spirit within us. 
We can say hello because Jesus was saying the payment for our sins had been made and paid in full. We can say hello because we've been forgiven. You see, Good Friday was good because Jesus died so that we would not have to. Furthermore, I'm going fast here, but I need to move on. Jesus' sacrifice provided for us that which we could never provide for ourselves. A restored relationship with the Heavenly Father, an eternal life and freedom from the bondage of sin. Now, we've been talking about this a lot for the past couple months as we've been talking about Galatians and the grace that Jesus gave us, the grace that God provided for us. We can never earn it all, all on our own. We now live according to a new law. It's not the law of works any longer. It's the law of grace that we can never save ourselves. But that's why Jesus came. You see, Good Friday is also good for us because we know the full story. Good Friday was good for us because we know the full story. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday is also good for us because we know the full story. We know that we can look forward to a day now. We can look forward to the end now with hope and with joy and with life, eternal life, because we know that soon, very soon, Christ will come back for us. Jesus will come back and call us up to him. Soon, very soon, Jesus will have his kingdom back. And there will be no more weeping, no more tears, no more deaths, no more illnesses. We know this because we have the cliff notes. We've been able to look ahead and know that the grave could not hold him. The stone would be rolled away, which let me make a note here. The stone would, was not rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone did not need to be rolled away to let Jesus out. Jesus is the son of God. The stone was rolled away to let us in. Because the angel there was so nice. God was so kind to us to say, I know who you are. I know how you think. And we're going to want to see proof. We shouldn't need to see proof. That's, I mean, we're unworthy to even ask. But they said, come and look. Come and look that Jesus is gone. Jesus is gone. Later on, it, in one of the other gospels, the angel actually says, who are you looking for? Don't you remember that he told you he would not be here? He would raise from the grave. Through the empty tomb, we have the fullness of life. Through the empty tomb, we have the fullness of life. Moving on now, specifically getting to Resurrection Sunday, where we are today, I want to come back to that main theme, which you should have wrote down in front of you. And it's this, the resurrection of Jesus in the empty tomb provides for us an eternal life filled with hope, joy, our sins paid in full. You see, this eternal life began 2,000 years ago. This grace began over 2,000 years ago. But guess what? It still matters today. The resurrection still matters today. This life is still available to you today. This treasure is still available to each and every single one of you today. You see, I was thinking about this as I wrote this down, and my kids kind of laughed at me, but I said, Disney may lock its most treasured movies in the vault. If you're a parent, you know that term. That a lot of Disney movies you can't get right now because they lock them away in the vault. But God never locks his grace and love away from us. The treasure is right here in front of you. The treasure is always right in front of you. The treasure is always open to you. The resurrection still matters today. And if you do not know the power of the resurrection, the power of the cross, the power of Jesus' life, and how he can work through your life, 
It's not because God's locking the treasure away from you. It's because you're not making yourself open to receive this treasure. Make yourself open today. It's a package deal. We need it all. So I'm going to read now from Matthew 27. That might have seemed like quite the long intro, but I think it all had to be said. It's powerful. The resurrection is powerful. The cross is powerful. The life of Jesus is powerful. I won't have it on the screen in front of you today. It's just too much. But there are Bibles in front of you. I welcome to use your tablets, your phones for your Bible. But I just ask that you save your quotes or your inspirational messages about Easter and he is risen for after the service or during the brunch. But as I read, I'm going to be reading from Matthew 27, 62, verse, uh, through chapter 28, verse 15. I read this. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how the impostor said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away. And tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now... After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. We're at verse 2 of chapter 28 of Matthew. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Now let me stop real fast just right there and point out that here in the midst of great panic, here in the midst of great excitement, and they are told to go fast, run. with, And they said... They said they were afraid, they were running with fear, but also with great joy. There in this great panic, they still stopped and worshipped Christ. We need to remember to do that in our life. No matter how fast we're running, no matter what we're afraid of, no matter how joyful we are, we need to remember to stop and see Jesus and recognize him in our life and worship him at his feet. Never forget to worship God. But moving on at verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the guards, to the soldiers, and said, 
Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Here's my point number one. And maybe I've already had a lot of points, but here's my official point number one. Nothing could ever hold God back from his will and love being poured out on his creation. The simplified version, nothing can hold God back. Nothing could hold Jesus down. Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. You see, they thought that they could get control of the situation. They thought, let's try and hide this from the world. Let's try and pay off the soldiers and say that somebody stole them, stole his body. But no, God was already in control. Jesus was already in control. The first thing we see before we even get to the resurrection is that the chief priests and others were preparing to prevent Christ's body from leaving the tomb to begin with. At the request, going back to the beginning of what we read, Pilate ordered the body of Jesus to be given to them to properly take care of and place in the tomb. I think it's important for us to see this because we need to see that they wanted to keep their eyes on the body. They did not want anyone to be able to steal the body. They did not want anyone to be able to claim that he had raised from the dead because this would further prove who he was and who he is. This would give further evidence that all Jesus said, all Jesus claimed, all Jesus did was true. Everything the Pharisees, the Sadducees had worked so hard to push back, to push down, would finally come to full light, and they did not want that to happen. Next, we see that the chief priest requested the tomb be made secure to watch out for anything. And this included a stone, a giant, a great, a big stone, a large stone, to be rolled in front of the opening. But not just that, also guards. But nothing can hold God down. They tried to prevent the resurrection. They tried to prevent any appearance of a resurrection from happening. They were so afraid just thinking that his disciples might steal the body. Or an animal might get the body. But they failed to recognize that this truly was the son of God. And no stone could hold him in. No tomb could hold him down. He had a mission to fulfill, and he would fulfill that. The giant stone was rolled in front of the tomb, but the giant stone would be rolled away, not for Jesus to get out, but for us to get in. Guards were placed in front of it, but the guards would be scared to death and would run, would run away. Nothing can hold God back. In fact, the very things, and this is crucial to see, the very things that the people used against Jesus, against us, God used to further give evidence for who he was. He used the tomb. He used the stone. He used the guards as witnesses. God loves the world so much that he sent his son to die and to raise and to give us life. Jesus loves us so much that he not only lived and died for us, but he also raised from the grave for us. And it's almost like Jesus was saying... That this world is so, so important to me that I have come to redeem it. Point number two is this. The message of the res resurrection is powerful. And it shows us that this world really matters to God. 
Point two is a simplified version. This world matters to God. You matter to God. God loves you. This was all for you. God knew that we needed him. We needed him to make a way for us to have a restored relationship with him. There's no way we could ever do it on our own. We needed Jesus. The guards recognized the power of the resurrection. The officials recognized the power of the resurrection. And they tried to cover it up, but they couldn't. It was too powerful. The disciples recognized the power. The resurrection matters. The resurrection assures us that our sins have been paid for. The resurrection assures us that Jesus truly was the Son of God. The resurrection matters because it continued to fulfill all of the prophecies which had been spoken before, which had been wrote down for them to know. The resurrection assures us that the cross was not void of its significance. He is alive. A filled tomb, if Jesus was still in that tomb, it would have given further proof that Jesus died, died and stayed dead like any other man. But an empty tomb proved that nobody could contain him, and he truly was the Son of God. The resurrection matters because it tells us that Jesus is alive. The resurrection matters because because Jesus is alive, we can live with him. We can talk with him. Remember I, I said it's not goodbye, it's hello. We can say hello every single day for the rest of our lives and beyond because we have eternal life. We have hope. We have joy through the resurrection. Our Savior lives, and we should be praising God for this. You see, without the empty tomb, Jesus would not have fully conquered death, hell, and our sins, but he did. The good news would actually be no news, but it's because of the resurrection that there is no bad news. We have good news, glorious news. And talk about powerful. I said the resurrection is powerful. A great earthquake. An angel. Guards present to see it all. God cannot be stopped. <coughs> the resurrection matters. It gives life. The resurrection changes lives. Each and every single one of us, each and every single one of our lives have been changed because of Jesus. And not just because of his life. Not just because of his resurrection. Not just because of the cross. But our lives matter our lives have been changed. We have life, fullness of life, because of all of it. The resurrection, the cross, the crucifixion, his life. All of it matters. Because of the, of the resurrection, the injustices and pains of this present world may now be addressed with the news that healing, justice, and love have won and are possible for all lives today. Jesus did not just raise in a spiritual sense, but he rose in a human bodily sense as well. And one pastor said this about that. He said, if Easter means Jesus Christ is only raised in a spiritual sense, then it is only about me and finding a new dimension in my spiritual life. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world. News of a new life, a forever life, of hope and joy. One pastor said this, N.T. Wright, 
Easter means that in a world where injustice, violence, and degradation are epidemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things. God sent his son to the grave and beyond to show us there is a way out. And that way out is Jesus. He continued to say, and that we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement the victory of Jesus over them all. We have a part in this. We need to use the power of God, the power of Christ's death and resurrection to reach the world. We need to use this to go to all nations proclaiming the gospel. We need to go use this to reach all disciples, to make new disciples and reach all the disciples. Point three is this. Christ is risen, risen indeed. Matthew 28, 5 told us, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified, but he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Goes on to say, Come see the place where he lay. The angel allowed them proof to be able to see that he is risen, risen indeed. The angel allowed us proof to be able to take away any question that they might have still had in their mind. There was no doubt Jesus was gone. They were told to go quickly and tell the disciples to prepare them for his visit. But I think also they're told to go quickly because God knew that people were going to try and hide this. They were going to try and cover it up. They were going to try and make it a conspiracy. So they're told to go quickly because they needed the good news to spread. And we need the good news to spread quickly today, don't we? I had somebody just challenge me or talk to me yesterday as we were in Subway eating dinner, and she saw my family praying for her food. And she said, and she came over after prayer, and as they left, and said, I just want to tell you, thank you for praying. The world needs prayer because the world is, is going through so much today. And what they need most is the news of the gospel, the news of Jesus to spread. I might have paraphrased a little bit, but that's what she meant, I promise you. <laughs> Here's the thing. We must get ahead of the lies. Jesus did. Jesus showed himself to them so that they had no doubt whatsoever. Jesus showed himself to them. He would go on to show himself to hundreds of his disciples, not just the, the key 12. Christ is risen. Despite the lies, despite the cover-up, we know the truth. God's word tells us that even those who have not heard the gospel will know the truth, will know of God's, God's workings, will know that there's hope. Nothing can ever, ever, ever cover it up. All of his believers who fled in the garden would be strengthened with the news of his power to conquer death. They would now put all the pieces together and realize that Jesus Christ truly was the Son of God. They would not leave him again. They would now truly see that everything he said was right. They would now pull it all together like a puzzle. These witnesses would be changed from cowardly men hiding in fear to bold men of faith, witnesses of Jesus. Do we hide in fear? Because I think we are, we are often hiding in fear. And God does not tell us to hide in fear. God tells us to go out. In his final commands to us, the final great commission, he's told, he tells us all to go out into the world, to all nations. And yet people still would try to claim that they were lying. Impossible. 
People would still claim this today, that it's all false, impossible. People, police will often interrogate multiple people after crime because they think that one of them, just one of them may admit that it was all made up or may admit that the truth of what really happened. Well, Jesus made it impossible for them to interrogate just a few people because Jesus showed himself to hundreds of disciples. And God works through a powerful resurrection with nobody could deny the earthquake, the stone being rolled away, and the body being moved. Nobody could deny that the, the guards were so trembling with fear that it's like they were dead, it said, and they would leave. The disciples would never flee again because the resurrection of Christ should motivate us, just like it motivated them, to live differently. We need to follow him. That's my point four. And my final point for you, the resurrection of Christ should motivate us to live differently. Follow him. All of his disciples would go on to die for him. They didn't just live for him, but they died for him. The resurrection and appearance of Jesus to the disciples is so powerful that they would live for him for all of eternity. Do you live for Jesus? Do you truly love God and love Jesus as he loved you? Do you truly understand that love? Have you accepted that love into your life in a way which it changes your lives radically? Because it was a radical, radical love that he showed you. Do you follow him? Here's my take home for you, my application. You see the, in the book, The Hurt and Here's a Who, which is a movie too. The book, Hurt and Here's a Who, tells the story of Horton, the elephant, who was splashing in a pool, hears a small speck of dust talking to him. Horton surmises that a small person living on the speck is living on the speck, and he places it on a clover, vowing to protect it. He later discovers that the speck is actually a tiny planet, home to a community called Whoville, where microscopic creatures called Whos live. The mayor of Whoville asks Horton to protect them from harm which Horton happily agrees to, proclaiming throughout the book that a person's a person no matter how small. A person's a person no matter how small. You see, God loves you so much. He loves us so much, all of us so much, despite how small we are to him, despite how unworthy we were to him, that he sent Jesus to live, to die, and to raise from the tomb, to be victorious over our sins, over our punishment, our penalty that we deserve so that we might have life. Jesus was like Horton there. Jesus held us up and protected us. He gave us life. If you believe that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus really matters, then your life should reflect this. We should also be looking out for the lives of others around us. Jesus has risen from the grave. He's risen indeed. So what should we do? You see, God shows us so much. <laughs> I got beyond myself. Let me move forward. God showed his love for us. How do we show our love for others? Jesus told us to love one another. Jesus told us to follow him. Jesus commanded us to go out into the world and proclaim the good news to all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Well, here's my challenge to you. You don't need to write all those down. You can, but here's the one thing I want you to write down. If you're not writing notes, well, then say this in your head a million times so that it sticks. 
Here's my challenge to you. Believe and follow him. Believe. Believe. How in a world can we believe in so many things that are not true, so many things that are worthless, so many things which lead us down bad, bad directions for our life, and yet we can't believe something so powerful for our life, something so radically life-changing for our life? It's my challenge for you. Believe and follow him. In closing, I wanted to read from you from one more gospel, Luke chapter 24, but instead I'm just going to paraphrase it for you, summarize it for you. In Luke 24, we read Forza's explanation of the resurrection, but I really love is the end. It says, as Mary and the women were telling the disciples about Jesus being raised from the dead, it says this in verse 11, I'm skipping forward, it says in, in Luke 24, but these words seemed to them as idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling, marveling at what had happened. May we be a Peter. Now, in another gospel, it actually says that two disciples ran to the tomb, Peter and another disciple who is John. Now, it actually says the other disciple made it there first. Peter did not stick around doubting. John did not stick around doubting or the idle tale. They did not question. They just took off and ran. And then as they saw that the tomb was truly empty, they were marveling. Do we run with the same type of hope, joy, and life? Are we marveling at what Jesus has done? Because today, of all days, on Resurrection Sunday, we should be marveling that the tomb is empty and he is risen. He is risen indeed. The resurrection of Jesus, the empty tomb, provides for us eternal life filled with hope, joy, and our sins paid in full. We need to run with the hope and joy that we truly have for all to see. You have life and your sins have been paid in full. He is risen he is risen indeed. Let's do that once again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you very much. But there's one final thing in the worship band. Uh, I'm sorry, we're actually closing with this. The worship band's not coming up. We're going to close with a brunch. That's even better, right? But here's the one final thing I want to say. For us, or at least I hope for all of us, the resurrection is powerful. This is a glorious day of celebration. Because we're believers. But if you're not a believer, or if you know somebody that's not a believer, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday is not a glorious day for them. It's a warning for them that God cannot hold, be held back. God cannot be held down. The resurrection is true. The life of Christ is true. And so is heaven and hell. Heaven and hell is real, and we need Jesus. Everybody in this earth needs Jesus. If you do not know Jesus today, you've heard all of this, and you want to know more, I ask you, come to me. I'm going to stay up here. Normally, I'd go back there and shake hands. If you want to shake hands, come up to me here today and shake my hand. But if you also see that I'm going offside and praying with somebody, then understand I can shake your hand at the brunch. And I love to see all of you here. But come pray with me. Come talk with me. And deacons, other church attenders, if you see somebody else that needs to talk, take the time. The brunch will still be there. If not, McDonald's might be open later. <laughs> Let me close in prayer.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for this glorious day that we have to celebrate that your son came and lived a life that we didn't deserve. He died a death that we didn't deserve, and he is risen, risen indeed. We thank you for the celebration we can have that we can now say hello, not just goodbye, because we know you will be coming back for us. We know that you've already sent your spirit into our life to help us through life, and we can now have a restored relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. We praise you. We marvel at who you are today. May we marvel at you each and every single day. And may we run. May we run with our life, with our hope, and with our joy before us each and every single day. And it's in your holy and powerful name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you.